<clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you once again today just to thank you for this this opportunity, Lord, just to to open your word, Lord, and and and, and we know that your Bible says that where there's two or three gathered together that you'll be there, Lord. And I ask you to be with us this morning, Lord, just to to help us, Lord, just to learn more about people who followed you, Lord, and and how they followed you, and, and maybe we, we can learn something from their examples, Lord, and I ask you just to be with us today, Lord, as we continue to to worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, good morning. And um, we're going to go on with the, the followers of Jesus, because um, in the New Testament, when you actually start getting in there, you think, okay, who are the followers of Jesus? Of course, everybody thinks about the apostles, and then you think about the, the prominent characters in the Bible, but when you actually break it down, there's like 185 people that are named by name in the New Testament. And of those 185, there's very, there's only a small portion that are not followers of Jesus. Okay? And that's what we're looking at, is those followers of Jesus. So let's go to 1 Peter 2.21 and start there. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. <clears throat> the Bible says, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being a follower of Christ. And, and Christ came, and he, he, we all know he suffered, and he died for us. And, and I don't know how many, you know, we don't really think about that. You know, we think, yeah, he came, and he suffered, and he died on the cross, but... One day we're going to have to go through that and just see how he suffered, because he suffered a lot. Yet he didn't sin, and he did it for us, because he loved us. And we are to follow that example. That's our lives. And you think about our lives. How, long, how much do we go through where we actually suffer? You know, But we're supposed to suffer like Christ, not suffer in misery. Um, but we're looking at other followers that followed Christ, and, and many of them suffered because of their following Christ. So today we're going to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. We looked at a bunch of the other Marys uh, a few weeks ago and, and, and other women that followed Christ. But we're going to look at Mary, his, his actual mother. So let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Matthew 1, 16. I went way over in the Old, New Test Old Testament. Matthew 1, verse 16. And, and the Bible says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So pretty plain right there. We define exactly who she is. This Mary, is she's the mother of Jesus. And, and if we read a lot about her and study about her, we, we'll find out some things. Like she was actually a teenager when she was, she was engaged to be married. Um, and, and that's also, she was a teenager, a Jewish teenager when gabriel the angel came to her and 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 you know she, when he came to her she had only recently become engaged to to that carpenter named joseph okay and so mary was just an ordinary jewish girl and at this point she's probably looking forward to her marriage and and looking forward to a family and having children and you know suddenly her life changed forever 
Okay, something amazing happened in her life. And so let's look at a few things that we know about Mary, uh, besides her just being the mother of the Messiah, the mother of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Okay, well, we know she was, like I said, she was just a regular girl. She was from Nazareth in Galilee. We know that. Uh, We also know that if you look at her genealogy, and and it has it in the Bible, her genealogy shows that she is in the, the lineage of Jesus Christ. Okay, so she's also in his lineage. And she's also a relative of Jesus through her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, remember, it was the mayor, it was the mother of John the Baptist. And we talked about John the Baptist, right? And then Mary, she gave birth to Jesus. And Mary was, was present when the wise men came, remember? And it wasn't it wasn't infant Jesus, it was a young child Jesus when they found him. Okay? She was also there when Jesus was presented in the temple like good Jewish people do, okay? She was there. We know that. And we know that that she was mentioned as his mother when Jesus was rejected by his own country of Nazareth. They said, isn't this the son of Mary? Okay? And she was there. And, And she also, we also know that she was there when Jesus performed his first miracle at the wedding of Cana. Okay? She was there. And we also know Mary, this same Mary, after she had Christ, her firstborn child, she also had James and Joseph and Simon and some daughters. So she continued to be a mother. It wasn't just Jesus. But let's look at Luke, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Claudia, did you give them some? Okay. Good morning, guys. Luke chapter 1, verse. we're going to start in verse 26. And we're going to read through 38. Um, some very important pieces of, of Mary's history right here. So in verse 26, it starts, it says, And in the sixth month of the angel in, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the, the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore... Also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So we see a lot going on there, but we see that Mary 
you know, when this angel Gabriel came to her, she was fearful. She was troubled. You know, I mean, you know, here's this angel standing in front of you and giving you this announcement about your future. You know, that'd probably be pretty troubling, right? And she's a young teenage girl. You know, it's pretty scary. And, and she could probably have never expected the words that he was getting ready to tell her. Okay? I mean, if an angel appears in front of me, I'm probably going to think the worst, you know? But she was troubled, and, and he told her what? He told her, you're going to have a child. But then, even more than that, he said the son would be the Messiah. I mean, that's pretty pretty amazing right there, right? So, and she may not be able to comprehend all that was going to happen, you know? She didn't know how she was going to conceive a child. She said, I have never been with a man. How am I going to conceive, you know? So how much, you know, how much more am I going to conceive a Savior inside of me, you know? But yet, we see her response. What was it? It was very humble. And she had belief. She had faith in what God was telling her through this angel. And she had obedience to him. Okay? She was already following Jesus. And he's not even conceived yet, right? So how would you respond in that situation? You know, if an angel came to you and said, Hey, you're getting her to have another child. You know? I know I'd probably run and hide. But... It would be very amazing just to imagine an angel even appearing to you, okay? So let's go, let's, we're still in the same chapter, but let's look at verse 28. Let's go back and look at verse 28. <clears throat> and it says, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, that thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So here's Gabriel the angel, and he told Mary that she was highly favored. Not just favored, highly favored by who? By God. Okay? And this simple phrase meant that Mary had been given much grace. You know, or maybe we could see it as unmerited favor. You know, what did she do to deserve that? Nothing. Nothing. God chose her. Okay? But that was unmerited favor from God. And even with God's favor... Even though he had favor on her, she was highly favored by God, she's still going to suffer in her life because of following Christ, right? And even though, you know, you think about it, what did she go through? Even being highly favored, she's highly favored, you know? She was an unwed mother. She was conceived with the Holy Spirit, but it was an unwed mother. And during that time, that was a no-no, Okay. Um, because of this, remember, Joseph was going to put her away, hide her somewhere, so everybody wouldn't know she's pregnant, and he was considering not being with her. Okay? An angel had to come to him and say, no, no, no. What is inside of her was of the Holy Ghost. You will marry her. Okay? And he did. Uh, so he all, she almost lost her fiancé, and, and, and her first son, her firstborn son, think about your firstborn child. Okay? Her firstborn son would be rejected by the world and eventually murdered. Okay? And she had this knowledge, right? And Mary, if we look at the Bible, Mary is the only person that we know that was there when Jesus was born and was with him through his whole life all the way to his death. Nobody else was there like that. Let's look at the same chapter. Let's look at verse 38. Chapter 1, verse 38. And the Bible says, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, <clears throat> be it unto me according to thy word. 
and the angel departed from her. Okay? The handmaiden here, she's saying, I'm a handmaiden of God. I'm a follower of God. Okay? So Mary, she gave birth to Jesus as her firstborn child, her firstborn little baby. She, and she watched him grow up, and she watched him die as the Savior of the world. Well, Mary, if she was a good Jewish teenager, she knew the Old Testament, right? She knew the prophecies about the coming Messiah. Okay? Yet, she still replied to Gabriel. Okay? He's coming and telling her all this amazing news. You know, that, that you know she's highly favored. She's going to have a son. He's going to be the Messiah. So now she knows what her son's life is going to be. Okay? Yet, what did she do? She submitted. And she obeyed God. And she told him that, she told Gabriel, you know, her words is basically saying, whatever God's will is, let it be done. She was okay with it. She was faithful, right? So let's look at, let's look at, uh, let's look at Luke chapter 2. Let's go to verse 41. 41 through 49. And the Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. That was Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, and they're doing what good Jewish people do. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, as they, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the, the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. <clears throat> and, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And, and when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou, done, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. You know, and then let's just read 49, Christ's answer right there. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Okay, what father is he talking about? He's not talking about Joseph. Joseph's his stepfather. He's talking about God the Father, right? So we see here, Mary... You know, Mary and Joseph went up to the temple, as their custom was. They had their holy time, their holy days, and then their company traveled back. They went a day's journey before they realized, you know, 12-year-old Jesus isn't here. Okay, so they went back looking for him. It took them three days to find him. How would you know if you went camping and lost your kid for three days? Well, actually four days because you went a day's journey. Drove all the way home and unloaded all the kids. Didn't they make a movie about that? Left one kid behind. So, you know, here she's, she's worried, she's stressed out. They go back and they find him doing what? You know, they find him in the temple and he's teaching the leaders of the temple. And they're astonished at his answers. Why is that? Because he already knows the book, right? He wrote it. So he's way ahead of them. But Mary was there, right? She's still following. Now let's go to John chapter 19. Let's look at John chapter 19. 
in verse 25 through 30. <clears throat> and the Bible says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cephas, and, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by him, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then saith he to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were, were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now therefore was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Okay, so what do we see here? Mary is one of the many Marys that is at, at his crucifixion. They're there. Her, his mother is still there, right? And, and she's there. She watches her firstborn son die on a cross for sins that he did not commit. Okay? And we know that she followed him throughout his whole ministry. She was there. We see she was there all the time. Um, and remember, Gabriel told her as a witness, he told her exactly who her first son would be. So she knew before this child was even conceived what Christ's life was going to be. Yet it didn't stop her from following him. Following him as a mother and following him as a believer. And that, that's the mother of Mary. She followed him. But let's keep going. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. So now her son has, has died on a cross. You think she'd be bitter and angry? Maybe hate the world and hate the people that put him up there? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 1. And let's read verses 12 through 15. <clears throat> this, is, this is in the upper room. This is after Christ has, has arose, ascended back into heaven. 12, 12 through 15, I'm sorry. The Bible says, Then returned they into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelots, and Judas the brother of James. Not Judas Iscariot. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication <clears throat> with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about a hundred and twenty. Okay, so Christ has died now on the cross. He's ascended to heaven, but we see Mary is still following him. She's part of that early church that's being birthed right here, right? And, and there was 120 people with her. Through his whole ministry, three years of preaching and healing and, and casting out demons, he had 120 people. It's pretty sad. This is the Messiah. This is Christ. He came to save the world, and he has 120 people. Pretty sad, right? How many of those people that actually got healed or, or got demons cast out actually continue to follow him? 
or do they just go on with their life because they're better now? And how many of us do that? When we're in trouble, we call on Christ. Oh, God, help me. But once the trouble's gone, what do we do? We walk away. And it's sad, you know. Um, Mary gave birth to Jesus. She followed him all of her life and was part of this early church as it was starting. And, and she gave, she not only gave her life to Jesus, okay? Remember, she was highly favored as his mother, but she followed him. So look at, let's look at some more followers. There's a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. So Joseph of Arimathea, we know him. He was a biblical figure. He's probably pretty famous. You know, he played an important role in the burial of Christ, didn't he? We all know that account. And, but his account is actually found in all four Gospels. Every, all four Gospels tell about this guy. Because he's pretty important. He had some things going on, right? So let's start at Matthew chapter 27. Let's figure out who this guy is. Did he just come off the street and decide he wanted to do a good thing? Or what was he doing? So chapter 27 of Matthew, and we're going to read 57 through 60. Chapter 27, 57 through 60. <clears throat> and the Bible says, When the even was come, there, was a, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was... Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in, in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new, new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. <clears throat> so we see here, we don't know much more about him, but we do know that he loved Christ, and he was devoted to Christ. It says he was a disciple of Christ. And he was so devoted that when Christ died, instead of letting the Romans just do what they wanted to with Jesus' body, he, said, he went to Pilate and begged it. And we're going to see he had some connection to Pilate. He had some power. Remember, he's a rich guy. But he has power, and we're going to see that. He has some clout. And he used that to, you know, his connections to get to Christ, to get to that body. But it cost him, okay? So let's, let's look at this, being a follower of Christ. And think about it in the context of today. So let's look, at, um, let's look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 51. Let's find out who this guy was. Luke chapter 23 and verse 51. And the, and the Bible says, The same had not consented to the counsel of the deed of them, he was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. So we're talking about Joseph here, okay? We see that right here, he, he's called Joseph of Arimathea because he came from the Judean town of Arimathea, okay? And this was, this was why, to distinguish this man from every other Joseph in the Bible, because there's other Josephs. But this one is called Joseph of Arimathea for a reason. God wanted to make sure we knew exactly who this man was. He's highly identified. Okay? So let, let's look at... Um, well, let, let's look at the verse right above it. Let's read verse 50. It says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and just. Okay? It says he was a counselor and he was a good man and he was just, right? 
he was a council member. He was part of something, right? So we see that Joseph, he, what he was actually was, he was a part of the council of the Sanhedrin, and we know who they were. They were leaders. They were bigwigs. They were like our politicians today. They made the rules, right? Those are the Sanhedrin. And this was the Jewish, Jewish religious group, you know? And, and they were also the same group that called for Christ's crucifixion, remember? When they were asked, you know, you want to release this murderer or you want to oh, throw Jesus on the cross? They're like, hook him. Hook him on the cross. That was the Sanhedrin. That's the group that Joseph's with. Okay? But yet he's a follower of Christ. And, and we see that Joseph, he, he says he was opposed to it right there. It says he, he, he had not consented to the council and the deed of them. Okay? So he was against them. When the Sanhedrin was saying crucify Christ, he was against them. He said, no. Here's a rich man with power, and now he's going against everything. He's going against the grain for what? For Christ. Because he is, at this time, he's probably a secret follower of Christ. Probably wasn't too out about it, but he was following. He was learning. He was a disciple of Christ. <clears throat> but when they were going to kill him, he stood up, you know? And how could you think about, could we do that today? If we were in a position of power, look at our politicians. How many of them, they spend millions of dollars to get voted into office? And then some of them may even claim to be Christian, but when they get there, are they Christian? Do we see all their Christian attributes just disappear? Because they're trying to fit into that group. Because what's going to happen? If they, if they turn and show their Christian attributes, what happens? They're out. Right? Well, that's what uh, Joseph from Arimathea was doing. Let's go to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15 and see more about this guy. 1543. <clears throat> 1543, and the Bible says, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God. That's very important for him. He's an honorable counselor. How many of the politicians would we call honorable? And waiting on the kingdom of God. But it says, go on, it says, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. So, even though he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and his devotion to Christ was stronger than his political affiliations or his religious affiliations, it says he went in boldly to Pilate. He didn't go in there and go, hey, Pilate, um, if you have time, do you think I could have Jesus' body? No, he went in boldly. He said, I, I want Christ's body. I want it now. Now, how was he that brave? Because Christ, his faith in Christ made him that brave, okay? And he was going against everything. Remember, he was going against the grain here, you know? So think about it. Would we be that bold in that situation if we were there? What about today? Are we bold for Christ today or are we weak? Look at how Christianity is viewed today in the world. You know, are we able to stand up and or when we're out in public, do we pray for our food? You know, or are we kind of scared and quiet? You know, maybe we're in a group. Do we do? Do we do it when we're alone? You know, do we tell others about Christ? Are we bold for Christ? Are we weak? Joseph wasn't weak. He was standing up, right? Let's look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. Matthew 27, 57. The Bible says, When the evening was come, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, 
who also himself was Jesus' disciple. Okay? So we see something else about him. It says he was a rich man. He was a wealthy man. He was a wealthy man. He had all the wealth in the world. You know, he could do anything he wanted, but he still followed Christ. How many people in this world, when they start making money, lose track of Christ? They don't need Christ anymore because they're making their own money. Now they have their boats and their guns and their cars and purses and 5,000 shoes and whatever. But he didn't lose track of that, okay? Let's look at Luke 23, verse 50. Luke 23, verse 50. And we read this one earlier, but we're going to read it again to know about this. Luke twenty three fifty. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. So we see Joseph was a good man and he was just. Okay? And is that because he was just a great guy? Maybe. But he followed Christ. And he stood up for Christ, right? So Joseph was a good man. He was a just man. He was wealthy. He was the member of that religious group, that political power he had. He had a lot going on, you know. This, he, was, he, was, he was in the place to be during that time. He would have been one of the high rollers, you know, the, the movers and shakers. Yet he was a follower of Christ. He was a follower of Christ. So think about people today, the wealthy and the rich and the powerful and the famous, the, the maybe the entertainers or the sports stars or the politicians. How many of them follow Christ? Very, very few, if any. Very few. Because why? They're more important for their fame and their money than they are following Christ. Let's look at John 19, verse 38. John 19, verse 38. John 19, in verse 38, the Bible says, or let's read 38 through 42. That's where we're going. 38 through 42, and the Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for what? For the fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, and, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And... There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then they took the body of Jesus and, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never never man yet lain. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Okay, so what are we seeing going on here? Well, we see, see that Joseph, he, it says he secretly followed him. He was following him, but he was kind of secretive about it. And why was that? Because he was part of that society, that rich political group. He was, he was one of the, you know, the, the elite people back then. And he was kind of scared of that. Because what were they doing to other Christians? They were persecuting them already. They were pushing them aside. They were calling them, you know, all kind of names. And, you know, they're following this guy, Jesus. But he was secretly following Christ, okay? And, and you know, like I said, we know he was rich. 
He was powerful. He was a religious leader. And he was politically connected. He had a lot to lose. A lot to lose. But he stood up and he said, no, I want Christ's body. What do you think that did to his position in the Sanhedrin? When they said crucify him, he said, no, I'm against that. He was probably kicked out of that. You know, what do you think that did to his riches, his businesses, or his, his, the political powers he was in and the groups he was in and the people he ran with? You know, now he's, he's publicly identified as a follower of Christ. What do you think that did to him? He probably remember all, lost all of his friends. How many friends have you lost when you got saved? How many family members do you just don't want to hang around with anymore? You know? Yet, because of his faith in Christ was greater than his need for worldly power or worldly wealth or worldly fame, he went to Pilate and he requested to take Jesus' body away. Very, he's very well identified now. And the thing that's kind of cool in this verse is you see Nicodemus. And we all remember Nicodemus, right? He was the Pharisee who silently, secretly visited Jesus at night to question him. And he asked him what? He asked him about God's kingdom. And I'm going to go to that verse real quick. John 19.39 is where I'm going to go. John 19.39. It says, And there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 100-pound weight. Okay? 19.39. He came to him secretly at night. Okay? Here's another follower of Jesus. But Nicodemus, we know he was, he was one of those two. He was a Pharisee. He was in a high place. He was in power. Yet now, Christ has, has died, and he's coming with Joseph of Arimathea. And, and I read a little bit about this. It says, you know, they brought this 100-pound weight, okay, of these, these myrrhs and alloys, okay? They did, when they, when they wrapped a body for burial, they did put spices in the body, or spices on the body, okay? But these were very expensive ones. And a 100-pound weight was overkill. They spent a lot of money because this was Christ their Lord. They, they did overkill. They, they made sure the, the linens were perfect. The, they, they did everything. This was like a fancy funeral. They did really well, okay? Because they were both secretly following Christ. And they both had a lot to lose. And I'm sure they did after this, right? So let's look at a couple more. Let's look at uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Okay? Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and see who these people are. Luke chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, And there was in, in the days of Herod, the king of Judah. Remember, Herod was not a fan of Christ. In the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. So they're connected uh, genealogy right up the, the chain, right, with Jesus, right? Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Blameless. So here's Zechariah. Who is he? He's a priest. He's from the tribe of Levi. So he's in that, that lineage. And he served the Lord during the reign of Herod in Judah. 
He's a priest serving in the temple. And, and his wife, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, who was she? Well, she was a descendant of Aaron. Okay? She was in the lineage, okay? And the Bible says, here's how they describe them. It says they were both blameless, walking in all the commandments. Not a few of them. All the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Could anybody in this room be described by that? Anybody? I'd like to see, see you stand up and tell me. No. If we were described like that, we'd probably be, you know, here's so-and-so, walked in a few of the commandments, and eh, it wasn't too blameless. Messed up a lot, right? No, they were blameless, okay? So let's look at, look at um, Luke, uh, same chapter. Let's look at verse 7. Let's find out more about Elizabeth and, and, and Zacharias. It says, and the Bible says, And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. Okay, they're advanced age, right? They're elderly now. And they have no kids. They're both childless. Okay? And if we read back and we really study deep on, on them, we see that they prayed for children. And they were still praying for children. But they knew they were old, and they knew Elizabeth was barren, and they, that didn't stop them. They had that faith. They kept praying. Okay, they're elderly. How long have they been praying for a child? Since their 20s, maybe? Who knows? But they kept faithfully praying to God. You know, how long do we pray for things when we want in our lives? Like, maybe even our family members, we won't say, do we pray for them just on Sundays? Or do we pray and pray and pray? Or how many years go by and we go, man, I give up. They didn't. They kept praying. Okay? So let's look at same chapter. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. And the Bible says, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. So here we see Zechariah is, is, is doing his job, right? He's doing his job. So let's look at verse 9. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot, this is what he's supposed to do, this is his job, is to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So here, here, here's Zechariah, the priest, and his job is to go into the temple at a certain time and burn the incense. That's his job. Okay, well, when he's doing that, all the other people are outside praying. And why is that? Because we know that those priests, if they enter that temple and there's something wrong in their life, they die. They die quickly. God doesn't allow them to go in there with sin. Okay? Thank God he doesn't do that today, right? You walk into church and you die if you have sin in your life. We'd probably all be empty, right? There would be nobody here today. Um, but that's what his job was. A very serious job, right? A very important job. He had to enter that temple, burn the tent, incense, and that was his priestly duties, and it was very important to the temple. Remember, everything was orderly. Everything with God is orderly. And everything was done at a certain time, a certain way, and there was no deviation, and that's what he did. Okay? So let's look at 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12. And the Bible says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Okay? Fear fell upon him. So Zechariah is doing his job. He's in the holy place. He's lighting incense. 
and there's an angel. Okay? Think about that. Wherever you work, if you work in an office, you go to your desk, you power on your computer, and you're starting to type, and there's an angel standing there. You know, hopefully you don't have a job where you're carrying heavy things because you'd probably drop them. So we see that here is an angel standing right beside him in the temple where nobody else is supposed to be. But here's an angel. And he's standing right by that altar of incense. And what did it say happened to, to old Zechariah? It says he was troubled and he feared. It's probably an understatement. Nobody's supposed to be in here. All of a sudden there's an angel standing there. You know it's an angel. It's not, you know, hey, who are you? He knew it was an angel. Okay? And he was troubled because that's not normal. That's not what happens every day. Every day he lights his incense. He lights it, does his duties, and then goes home. That's his job. But here his job is different because here's an angel standing next to him, right? So let's look at verses 13 through 17, see what's going to happen. <clears throat> but the, <clears throat> So we see he's troubled and fear fell upon him. And then verse 13 says, <clears throat> But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the, in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just." To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here's an angel telling, angel Gabriel is telling Zechariah exactly what's going to happen. He says, well, number one, your prayers have been answered. However many years you and Elizabeth have been praying for a child, God's heard you. He's ready to give you that child. He said he had chosen Elizabeth to bear a son. That wouldn't, it wasn't just going to be any son. It was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. How's that for a thing? You pray all your life for a child and you finally get it, and the angel tells you, oh, it's not going to be just a regular kid. It's going to be a super kid, okay? He's going to be the one that's going to be the, the one that comes to pave the way for Christ. And this son, it says, would be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from conception, from when he was in the mother's womb. He would be dedicated to the Lord's surface before he was even conceived, okay? Before birth. That's amazing, okay? So let's see a little bit more about this. Let's look at uh, verses 18 through 22. So Zechariah has just been told this, so let's see what his response is. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering him said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou hast not, thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zechariah, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them, and he remained speechless. So here's old Zechariah, right? He's in his temple doing his job. An angel comes to him, 
And Zechariah doubts what the angel just told him. He just told him who his firstborn son's going to be, his only son. He told him, told, and you know, he, he told Gabriel this. He said, you know, we're too old. She's barren. That ain't going to happen. It is not going to happen. See? So, Mama, there's help for you. You know? Yeah. So, if an angel tells you, get ready. You know, how would you want to be in your elderly age, elderly body, and now you're pregnant? I don't know. I've, I've seen pregnancy. I don't want to know part of it. So, here we are. And he, he's saying, you know, I don't know. We're old. My wife's barren. And then what did he say? He said, I'm Gabriel. He identifies himself. I am Gabriel that what? Stands in the throne room of God. Not just a regular angel. I'm in the throne room of God. God told me this directly, and I bring it to you. So it wasn't like, you know, it got sent by FedEx and passed around, and the package is kicked and dropped, and they do your ring doorbell and drop it out there. Here's a message for you. No. This came He said, I am Gabriel, and I came from God. God told me this to you. But I see you have a lack of faith, so here we go. You're going to be mute until this child is born. Okay? And then Zechariah, he came out of the temple, and all the people were like, man, you've been in there a long time. And they figured out, hey, something happened in there. Right? And Because he gestured to them, and they, he couldn't speak, so that was probably amazing to them. He could speak going in, now he can't, can't speak coming out. Okay? So let's look at uh, verse 23 through 25. So verse 23 says, And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach from among men. So we see his duties finished. He finished his tour of duty there in the temple. He went home. Elizabeth got pregnant, just like the angel said. And then she hid herself five months. I always wonder, what did she do that for? Was she kind of ashamed? You know, she's an older lady, and here she's going to show up pregnant. You know? Don't know, but she hid herself. Okay, so let's look at 26 to 31. The Bible says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. So we see that here we are. Elizabeth is in her six months of pregnancy. The angel Gabriel appeared to her, or appealed to Mary's cousin. Okay? It told Mary that she would be the mother of the Messiah, Jesus. So we have two babies, right? And we're running out of time very quickly. So let's, let's just run through this real quick. So we also see, we're going to go through these. If you read 39 through 45, we see that Mary, she went to spend time with Elizabeth, and we know this story, and she received further confirmation that, of the angel's words, right? Gabriel, the sound of Mary, at the sound of Mary's voice, what happened? Baby John leaped in Elizabeth's womb because he knew that Jesus was in Mary's womb, okay? 
And at that point, at that point, it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and Mary and, and told Mary that she was blessed among women and, and was blessed because the child she was carrying was Jesus. Okay? Well, then if we read 57 through 64, we find out that when Elizabeth gave birth to her son, the friends and relatives, we know, they came and they said, oh, is this child going to be named Zachariah? And Zachariah made motions for a writing tablet, and he wrote down, no, his name is John. And immediately, what could he do? He could speak, because now he's being obedient to God again, right? He had that little bit of doubt, and it cost him for a while, right? And what did he do? He praised God. He praised God. And then we go on through the chapter. We see that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he began to prophesy about, about his son, and he thanked God for his redemption and, and for, for his fruitfulness and for his promises and for his salvation. Okay? So Zechariah prophesied what? He said that his son would be called a prophet of the Most High, and that was in verse 76 and 77. And he also said he would go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. Okay? So they followed Christ. They followed Jesus. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And we'll end there. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And in those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see that Zechariah and Elizabeth's baby grew up. He became a man, and he, that we know him as John the Baptist. He did exactly what God said he was going to do. He, repent, he, he preached repentance, and he prepared the hearts of, of, Jesus, of God's people to believe in Christ when he got here, when he started his ministry. So we've looked at three people. Mary, the mother of Jesus, followed him from birth to death and even beyond. Joseph and Mary Matthias secretly followed him, but he finally stood up, and it was bold. And it probably cost him. And Nicodemus was with him. They both stood up. Out of all those people, they stood up. And then we see Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were blameless. Yet Zacharias had that, had that bit of doubt. But their son was still brought into this world and did exactly what God said he would do. So these are some pretty strong followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you today. Thank you for this, this time just to open your word and, and learn about your your followers of Jesus, Lord, and I ask you to help us maybe follow you as strong as these people did, Lord. And God, I just ask you to be with us the rest of the day as we continue to, to praise and worship you and, and learn more about you in, in our next service, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.